and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emma Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we're talking about debt-to-income ratios, DTIs. Now, this is particularly topical. The Reserve Bank has just been given the green light to use DTIs, to add them to their portfolio of macro prudential tools. These are the <laughs> tools like your LVRs and your capital requirements, things other than fiddling with the interest rates that the Reserve Bank can introduce to try and retain financial stability. Now, we've had a question from Vivian, long-time listener of the show, Vivian, thanks for listening, who said, would you mind discussing the impact of off-the-plan purchases if the Reserve Bank introduces debt-to-income ratios, and how would this impact investors who have already paid deposits and are under construction? We will come to that, Vivian, but let's start by talking about the tools themselves. But even before we do that, I want to talk about the good news behind this. What's the silver lining here, Andrew? The interest-only restrictions are not due to come in. And I repeat, not due to come in. So we've been talking a long time about this. They've been a big concern for the last three to six months. And this is a quote from the Reserve Bank letter to the Minister. We also assess the effectiveness of restricting interest-only lending and determine that currently interest-only lending to investors or other borrowers does not pose a financial stability risk, nor do they negatively impact on the government's housing objections. We also found that restricting interest-only lending would be challenging to implement and enforce. So the bottom line is they are not coming in like we thought they might, and this is absolutely something to be celebrated. Yeah, I think it's important to point out when there are silver linings to these things. So how would a debt-to-income ratio work? Now, this might sound pretty scary. And in fact, we were just talking to friend of the show, Tony Mounts, from Tony Mounts Mortgages and Insurance, talking about these. Because the way that the Reserve Bank are suggesting that this would come in would be as a gross figure. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there would be a debt-to-income ratio of, say, seven introduced. And if your income is 100K, including rent, you can borrow 700K in total. Now, we don't know exactly how it potentially might be implemented because the Reserve Bank has to go out and talk to all of the retail banks over the next six months and discuss how it might be implemented. So would that only be implemented for investor lending or would it include owner-occupier lending? We don't really know at this stage because you've also got to remember that New Zealand is going to be the only country in the world where debt-to-income ratios will be, and I say will be because at some point I expect they'll come in, maybe not straight away, but sometime in the future. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're going to be the only country in the world where debt-to-income ratios will be placed on investors. So the exact details are still a little bit up in the air. But here's an example of what it might look like. The Reserve Bank might say, cool, retail banks, 60 to 80% of your lending, say, has to be within a debt-to-income ratio of 6 to 7. Let's call it 7 for now because that's the figure most often used within the Reserve Bank's documents. So let's say you've got a total household income of 150k. You and your partner are both on 75k each. And let's say that you expect you might get 30k worth of rent out of your next rental property. So that means you've got a total gross of 180k. Multiply that by a factor of seven, and you can have debt of 1.26 mil in that case. Now, you're probably wondering, Andrew, gosh, doesn't that sound quite scary? 
Absolutely. And I think in that conversation with Tony Mounts, he was very scared about the limitations that that was going to lead to if you're a portfolio builder. So if you were starting out on your investment journey and you wanted to build a portfolio of 10 properties, very common goal with investors that I'd work with, you would really struggle. You'd have to have significant income to be able to carry that sort of debt now. And certainly I do think that you would either have to have that from your own salary or you would need to build that up through your own rental properties. But that's a major increase in terms of what you'd need to get in terms of rents, I would think. Well, talk to us about the four strategies that would still make sense under a system where debt-to-income ratios had been introduced. Okay, so... Firstly, our favourite one, new. So if you're buying new, we expect that you would have exemptions for this. And I think that's mentioned on one of the pages of the... Page 17 of the paper. Page 17 of the consultation paper. Add value slash cash flow hack. So another favourite of us being able to actually get that rent up in a very quick period of time. So not just waiting for that natural market increase in the rent. Number three is flipping properties. So if you're buying, renovating, flipping the property, then it kind of doesn't really apply because you carry that debt for such a short period of time. And the final one is have lots of cash. Actually put a whole lot of cash into your investments, which you know isn't going to work for everyone, but if you've got the cash, then it doesn't really matter. So now I've been thinking, well, if you were going to go down that second route, if you were going to cash flow hack your properties, what sort of gross yield would you need to have in order to get that debt to income ratio of seven times? And the answer is a 14% gross yield. Now that's on debt. So based on your debt. Now, let me just give you an example of how you might cash flow hack to get closer to that debt to income ratio of seven. And I'm going to use an example that you've all heard before, which was one of Ilsa's ones from our webinar that I'm actually going to use the one in Whangarei. Now, she purchased that property again for 340k. That at the time rented for $350 a week. So it had a debt to income ratio, if you use all of the gross figures, of 18.7 per week. Now, if she didn't reno that, if she didn't increase the rent, then the income, if debt-to-income ratios were introduced, would need to come from her personal circumstance, from the money she's making herself. Now, they did some amazing things here, and I won't go through what they did because you can listen to that on all the webinars, but they spent 30 k and they increased the rent to $790 per week. So they targeted the renovations that were conducted in order to increase rent. That took the debt-to-income ratio from 18.7 down to only 9. Now, it's still slightly above that 7 that we talked about, that magic number 7, if debt-to-income ratios were introduced. We'll talk about the likelihood of that in a minute. But we're starting to get much, much closer. And that's where that second strategy, if you're trying to build a portfolio, cash flow hacking will become more and more important because it's the income that you need to get up in order to carry that debt across. So let's talk a little bit about how much debt we're actually in. So in terms of the average amount of debt for households with mortgages, the average is actually only about 3.3 times for a debt-to-income ratio. So something like a seven times factor is great. And if you factor in all households, not just the ones that have mortgages, it's only about 1.6. So it's actually quite a lot lower than we were expecting. But of course, there are some investors with really high debt-to-income ratios. And that's because they've built a portfolio over time. And so there's more and more reliance on their personal income. And these are the people that the Reserve Bank is more concerned about. And these are the type of people that are going to be affected much more than your average person just owning a house. 
So there is a note in page 10 of the letter to the minister which says that expect a seven times debt to income ratio to affect only 5% of investors, which is surprisingly low. Yeah, that seemed really low to me, actually. And maybe this comes down to there's some way that they are calculating it potentially differently because it's quite opaque in terms of exactly how it would work. They kind of say that it would be on these gross figures like we talked about before, which sound really scary. But then you start to hear some of what we're talking about here, then they think it would only affect 5% of investors. You think, oh, that's really, really low in that case. And it's hard to kind of speculate how it would look for investors because debt-to-income ratios, as far as we know, have never been used for investors in the past, right? Yeah, that's what I said earlier in the episode. Oh, I wasn't listening yet. (laughs) Well, there you go. A new fact from Andrew now. You've heard it and had it verified. (laughs) Now, one thing that I do just want to mention is you might be thinking, why are they quoting page numbers for us? It's just because there may be a couple of real data nerds out there who would want to go through these documents. We're talking and, about you, Manuel. And find the exact wording from the Reserve Bank, just so that you're able to go and do that if you want. The other reason is just to prove that actually, yes, we do read these documents. And <laughs> you know, if you want the most juicy bits, page 10 or was it page 15 in that case, Now, what I want to talk about, what are the next steps? Because a lot of this is still quite, you know, I don't want to say airy-fairy, but we don't have a lot of... It's a bit up in the air. That's probably a better way of saying it. Thank you, Andrew. These are not going to be operational for the next six months. So the Reserve Bank has to go out. They need to consult with the retail banks. They need to figure out how they can potentially implement it. How is it really going to work for property investors? And then they need to get the systems in place so they could bring them in. Now, I do not think that they are going to be brought in in this boom. I expect that they are going to save these for the next time we see rampant increases in house prices. And that might be in seven or 10 years time, but I don't think they're going to be implemented straight away. In fact, the Reserve Bank talks about the fact that even though they may have them operational, even though they could be brought in, they don't expect that they would bring them in, or it shouldn't be expected that they will bring them in straight away. In fact, they talk about that the first step if they saw rampant increases straight away right now, they would start to increase LVRs first. So that might mean that instead of needing to have a 40% deposit, they might bang that up to 50 or 60% deposit. That's one of the first things they might do. They also talk about that another thing they might do is set a minimum floor in terms of the test interest rate. Remember, the test interest rate is you put your mortgage application into the bank and they say, yes, I realise that the current one-year rate is 2.19%, but let's just see if you could afford it at 7%, or let's just see if you could afford it at 5.85%. So what the Reserve Bank is saying that they'd probably do before they bring in DTIs, at least in the short term, while they're still figuring out the policy, is they might say, well, let's make that 8%. Let's say banks need to have a minimum of 8% as a servicing test rate in order to approve those mortgages. And that was actually the feedback that they got last time they consulted on debt-to-income ratios with the main retail banks, because this is the system that they already use. It would be very easy to implement in that case. So what I'm trying to get across to you or impress upon you is the fact that I don't think we're going to see DTIs and I'm going to kind of put mistake in the ground and look, I could be wrong in six months, but I don't expect we'll probably see them in the next 12 months. I expect they'll be saved for the next boom when we start to see rampant house price increases in the future. That doesn't mean you're not going to see a lot of headlines about it. So because the media, I guess, is almost a lever that the Reserve Bank uses, 
you're going to see a lot of this stuff come out and you're going to see the media put a spin on it and say new challenges for people borrowing money, all these kind of things, which then does have a flow-on effect of the market, absolutely. But as Ed said, we don't expect that to come in. And again, quote from the documents, this does not indicate that we have any immediate plans to implement the tool, rather it will allow us to further assess the tool's effectiveness. So even before the debt-to-income ratios potentially come in, it is important to note that there would be a full consultation process and a regulatory impact assessment. Now, that doesn't mean that they're really going to listen to us if we don't like the fact that a (laughs) debt-to-income ratio might be introduced, but at least you will have fair warning that it could be introduced. Now, having said that, Andrew, what should investors be doing right now if they are concerned about debt-to-income ratios? Look, if you're planning on investing, now's a great time to start because this hasn't been finalised, the government still has to go through that consultation, and so there hasn't been this major push. So I would suggest getting in now while you absolutely can. And I've said in the past to a lot of investors, if the bank's willing to give you money now, you'd be crazy not to borrow it and invest it because you never know when they're going to turn that tap off. And that's happened as I've grown my portfolio. I remember when they brought in the LVR restrictions and all of a sudden there was this new mechanism that meant that I couldn't borrow as much money. And you feel stupid for not buying two more last year. So I think it's really important to always use the rules of the day and make sure that you're maximising your investment potential if that's what you want to do. There was also a part of this question that I just wanted to cover off, which basically was along the lines of, hey, what if I've paid a deposit on on an investment property and I'm midway through construction and all of a sudden I can't settle because debt to income ratios come in. Now, one of the things that you can do with approvals with certain banks is actually have an approval in place for 12 months or even with one bank, Westpac, if you've got your valuation done, from what I understand, you can actually have an indefinite approval, just subject to the code of compliance and the title. So maybe choose to have an approval with one of those banks. As we mentioned before, we believe that new builds would be exempt from this, again, because the government is wanting to encourage investment into new builds. But there is an episode that we've done, episode number 378, which was about what happens if your circumstances change and you can't settle, what are your alternate options? So maybe have a listen to that as well. Now, a couple of silver linings, which I just want to point out within this. First of all, No limit on interest-only lending. And I know this was one of the major things that investors had been really worried about. Now, of course, you're not going to read a story in Star for the Herald and not to dump on the media too much, but they're not going to come out celebrating the fact that, hey, interest-only lending restrictions aren't coming in, which is a good news story for investors. The other silver line, DTI is not in place right now, as Andrew was saying. You've still got the ability to get started. If you expect it to be tougher for you to borrow in the future, now is a great time to borrow. It's going to be easier today than it may be tomorrow. One other thing that I just want to point out, though, is who wants a popped housing bubble? Again, I'm not saying that we are in a bubble. There are so many reasons to think that there is a degree of sustainability in our current house prices. And I can point to where it says that, again, if I flick through my notes, where we see that in the consultation documents around debt-to-income ratios. But it is important that the Reserve Bank is trying to make sure that we don't see a decrease in house prices. They do not want that to happen. They don't want to see a collapse in house prices. And so 
the Reserve Bank coming out and implementing some level of measures to try and lock in existing house price gains is great for anybody who's bought housing over the last 10 years, who's bought housing over the last 12 months, because those gains are effectively being locked in by regulation. And I do think that's important to state. We do want slower, more stable increases in house prices because for you and I as investors, that says low risk. If the Reserve Bank is trying to make sure that we've got house price increases somewhere between 3 and 5%, hey, I'm happy all day long because I am getting that gain locked in for my retirement, for my health crisis, for whatever I want to do in the future with that equity that we're gaining. So I do think that while this may stop you from investing, get as many houses as you can now and then enjoy the benefit of the Reserve Bank trying to make sure that we have slow and steady house price growth because, boy, that's going to be a wonderful thing because it decreases my risk as an investor. This is where you drop the mic, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. And, hey, something that is exciting, and this is the first time I'm going to tell you about it here on the podcast, is that we are launching a new video series. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it is right now because the announcement's going to happen in our upcoming webinar. Link in the bio, by the way. But we have a very special red carpet premiere happening at the Christchurch Art Gallery. It's happening the 15th of July. There is going to be a red carpet. There is going to be popcorn. There is going to be, I hope, a gelato stand as and well. And I heard I'm going to be doing autographs. <laughs> Andrew, no, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody needs that. But we do have a paparazzi photographer. It is going to be a big red carpet gala night. And I want you to come along if you're going to be on Christchurch on the 15th of July. I'm going to drop a link to where you can sign up for your free ticket in the show notes. But we now, want you to come. Are we doing a draw on this? No, no, no. First in, first served. What? I've got space for wow. about, uh, uh, I think, 150 people. I'm allowed to come along to this. It is going to be an amazing night. So, link down to the show notes. You're going to be able to come along to this. I can't wait to see you there. And. listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the music in the property market. Until next time.